As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge your glass. This nation is going to dance all night. The end of an era for football cliches royalty. The Premier League pure referees names 11. Just who is and isn't allowed to be included in the spine of a team? Did Frank Lampard really guide Chelsea to 12th place? Finding yourself in the opposition box. A deep data dive into footballers on reality TV shows. The waltzing through end-of-season rallying cry, a pre-engraved FA Cup, and Keezy's Premier League predictions revisited. Brought to your ears by The Athletic, this is Football Clichés. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 262 of Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry, the reigning champion of the Football Clichés quiz. And with me on the very last adjudication panel of 2022-23 is first of all, Charlie Eccleshare. How are you doing? I'm all right, yeah. How are you? I'm fine, I'm fine. Thank you very much. Um, how do we play this, Charlie? Is this what do we call this the end of series one? <laughs> 262 episodes. Yeah, I know. Other other podcasts do divide up into series for seasons, which we've we've never really done that, have we? I think just right. carry it on as one long, one long thing. Fine. Bit of a break, never hurt anyone. Yeah, we'll be back later this summer, somehow, somewhere. I'll tell you who won't be back, though. It's your partner on the adjudication panel today, Charlie, David Walker. It is your final episode of Football Clichés today. We bid you goodbye today after 129 caps, a living legend of the Clichés pod. Um, how do you feel? I feel quite sad, really, after yeah, hearing that. me too. 129 caps. Uh, yeah, well, look, I'm leaving the Athletic. Mm. Uh, Wednesday will be my last day at the Athletic, so unfortunately, at this juncture, I have to depart the uh, the cliches pod, which is which is terribly sad for me. Hopefully, sad for the listeners. Um, I don't know whether to edit in some sort of sad music here uh, afterwards or not. I'll but take maybe, care of that. I'll take care of that. Don't worry. <laughs> maybe I could be like uh, in a in a you know in a Jeff Stelling esque turn of events. You'll struggle to find a replacement for me, and I'll just come back for the new season like nothing ever happened. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed, Charlie, that would be great, frankly. Yeah, I feel like in Neighbours as well, people would quite often come back or they'd, they'd be gone for... Or maybe played by a different actor. Yeah, I don't, that's I, what I, I was going to say. We'll get Dave back, but with a different face and a voice. I don't, I don't know what the rules are on that. But also, I mean, anyone who's been to one of our live shows would have heard Adam introduce David as David without whom everything would fall apart Walker. And uh, it's a terrifying prospect. Really, really is not having you on this podcast. Huge boots to fill. Dave, huge beats to fill. Um, but let's crack on. We've got some business to take care of on the adjudication panel. And we kick off with Andrew Little, who has um, a bone to pick with um, something that Dave told us recently about his Sunday League administration, that uh, there had been an asterisk next to a team's name because they'd been deducted points for fielding a ringer. Well, Andrew Little writes in and says, just wanted to offer some further insight into the asterisk in Dave's league. I play in the same league for Wandsworth Warriors. I wouldn't describe the player in question as a ringer. 
The lad was banned for six months after chasing our team round with a corner flag after being sent off. In the end, armed police turned up and the player became known as Stabby Bloke. Bloody hell. Wow. Six months for that. <laughs> the information I had previously was... Um was yeah was told to me in good faith i had no reason to not believe it but um i can't believe this story i have i have seen i have heard of similar incidents within our league uh, you know very isolated occasions here and there but christ a corner flag i know so this how so this player was he was banned and then played despite being banned is what happened so he wasn't a ringer as such that's what is that, it sounds that like what saying wow yeah he must have played while being banned that must that must be the points deduction situation but um god you, you would have got more if he'd actually bet on the game i would assume next up Loyal listener Elizabeth Barnard has got in touch uh, with some stellar content. Um, she shared with me the group chat's pure referee names 11 of current Premier League players. Um, <laughs> Charlie, here's the back five for you in gold. Dean Henderson. Mm-hmm. Bit more lines, Mini? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe goalkeepers is quite is uh, quite a narrow pool. Hmm. It's a sl- is it a slightly too interesting name? I'm not sure. I don't think it is, actually, to be honest. A back four of Andrew Robertson, yep. Michael yes. Keane, yep. Craig Dawson, which is basically I mean, Craig yeah. Dawson, <laughs> yeah. which is fun. <laughs> <laughs> and a uh, slight wild card here, name-wise, Ryan Fredericks. I'm not. I'm not on board with that one. I don't know. There could- is. There does tend to be one sort of wild card with a slightly more interesting name. Oh right, yeah. Each year. Yeah. I mean, isn't there an Andrew Robertson who works for the PGMOL or something? I don't know. Maybe I've imagined that. Yeah. It feels <laughs> like there should be, or there could be. In midfield, Dave, Stuart Armstrong, yep. Oliver Skip, yep. and Adam Forshaw. Forshaw, I'm not so sure about, but uh, yeah. the other two, yep, definitely. And a front three, Charlie, of Anthony Gordon, yes. Patrick Banford, yeah. And David Brooks, which is... David Brooks, def- I think he's a VAR. Dan- I mean, I know they are also referees, but I also think the VAR, of course, is David Brooks. Under fire VAR David Brooks. Yeah, (laughs) solid effort. I give that a solid 7 out of 10, Elizabeth and co. Well done for that. And and very original stuff as well. Glad to have it. Right, let's dig into this. This is Sky Sports News, Charlie, reviewing um, the relative success of Newcastle signings this season. I think you look at three in particular, Kieran Trippier, Dan Byrne, Nick Pope, that's the spine of this Newcastle team. And as you said before, the defence was such a key part at the start of the season. They formed the backbone to success. And you wonder how much Bruno Gimoresh is worth now, £40 million. Jamie writes in, Charlie, says, can a spine of a team be two fullbacks and a keeper? How strict should we be with spine? Definitely not. That is not the definition of a spine. I know it isn't. <laughs> One final flourish for literally Dave. Uh, okay, well that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, I th- they are. They're not like regular fullbacks. I do kind of, like. I know it, it's very rogue doing this to say that it's a spine, and, I, and obviously, you know, technically it's not. But they are. You know, like Dan Byrne, he's he's kind of more feels like a centre back. Than a fullback. I know he doesn't <laughs> actually play there. Defensive, it. I had to say. No, you know, just slightly playing devil's advocate. And, right. and Kieran Trippier obviously is like, if he's not the actual captain, then he's very much feels like the de facto captain and leader of that team. Yeah. So it's yeah. not. I, I think it is. It's it's a stretch, but I kind of know what he's getting at. Those feel like three of the leaders of the team, anyway. I think uh, a slightly more appropriate word would have been the they form the bedrock. Ah, oh, of... I would have liked. Ah, oh, bedrock would have been good. Because he's saying the same thing, but you just, you can't get away with spine with, you know, they're the shoulder blades as opposed to the spine, I, I guess. <laughs> the ankles, I don't know. Um, <laughs> or the hips, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I mean... The I, pelvis. In some mitigation, Charlie, two very influential players at fullback there, and you're allowed a goalkeeper. Goalkeepers are allowed in a spine, right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think they're an optional extra. You don't have to have a goalkeeper no. in your spine, do you? But yeah, and but... They're the coccyx. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of undersung, aren't they, the coccyx? But, you know, evolution. But um, how many? Do you, what's the minimum number of players in a spine, Dave? Two or three? Like, could you have two players in a spine or would it have to be three? I think... I think three. I think ideally you want you want a defender, midfielder, striker. But does it have to be? Like I, I think three is definitely the minimum, Charlie. But could you mix and match? Could you have two defenders and a midfielder as a spine? It has to, it has to, it has to be all the way up. Uh, yeah, you might. I mean, because often you hear about it. It depends because you talk about like they're missing the spine of their team. Is what mm. I off, is what I most think of yeah. spine being used. Yeah. And I think you One. could slightly retrofit that if it if it was like two centre backs and you're holding midfielder, I think you could say they're messing the spine of their team. What about a goalkeeper, centre back, central midfielder? If you get the striker, yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's what fine. I was going for. Yeah, I think mm. you can have three of the four. Definitely have three of the four, and and it could skip a skip a 
vertebra as well. Like you could have goalkeeper, defender, striker. If it was someone like Harry Kane, who is very talismanic and not just a goal scorer, I think that would be acceptable. Um, but in summary, Charlie, no wingers allowed in a spine. Yeah. In, unless they were very unusual and sort of almost played like a central midfielder in some ways. In a, in a bit way, like I'm saying how with Byrne, he has quite centre-back energy, even if he's not actually a centre-back. exactly what you mean. Yeah. And Trippier does other stuff. Like, as you say, captain, set-piece taker, lots of very central and lots clearly very good in the up. dressing room as well mm. yeah yeah okay um interesting delighted with this timing this is our last episode for a while but this is an absolutely genre defining whisper it but dave from the guardian whisper it but scotland is on the verge of becoming a space superpower yeah <laughs> <laughs> how, how, how could you be more whisper it than that <laughs> i don't know whether what the context is i'm curious to know why why it's a whisper have they had a lot of full storms before like, have, have scotland come close but sort of lost to nasa in the final they've just or something? been quietly getting on with their space business in the background that's a job they've done up there yeah the, the subhead reads dave despite the demise of virgin orbit the uk's first space ports should open in 2024, complete with uh, okay. a what looks like an artist impression image of a rocket being fired off a very, very small Hebridean island by the looks of it. Fair play to them. I don't know. So Maybe it does sound like it has, thing. Who knows? has been an element of false dawn, then it sounds like. Yeah. In sense. Yeah. Up and Was there a upstarts. golden age? Did they have loads of great astronauts in the 70s? Well, Cape Canaveral just been, they had stranglehold over it all, haven't they? Kazakhstan big in the game, if you're a cosmonaut fan for your sins. Anyway. It's time for For My Sins Corner. Dave, wow. Charlie's going to do you no favours here, by the way. Yeah, this is going to be like a testimonial. This is huge. Yeah, exactly. Don't let him tap it in. Don't let him get a penalty. You know the drill. I'm going to play you a clip from, from, the, from national media. The phrase, For My Sins, will be uttered. You just have to guess when it'll be. Anyway, this one comes from Five Rhythm and Mike Walker. It's from BBC Radio 5 Live on Saturday. If Chelsea don't slip up, there's nothing that Manchester United can do. So we'll talk about the WSL title race, much more to come on the playoff final and the battle battle down the bottom of the Premier League. But our big commentary this afternoon comes from Twickenham. The Premiership final, Saracen Sale. It kicks off at three and Sonia McLaughlin is there. And I'm standing, Steve, right next to the Premiership trophy, which I just tried to lift up for my sins and failed miserably. And both Matt Dawson and Chris Jones looked at me as if to say, come on, you can can do better than that. I'm sure that Owen Farrell or John O'Ross... We both went too early. Just, just, just too early. It was the beat before. I I mean, trying trying to sort of tap into your mindsets as you did it. Charlie, I think I think it felt like the most logical point of that clip to say it. But even then, standing next to a trophy for your sins didn't feel right, did it? Yeah, I know. I know. I know. In in retrospect, if I could do it all again, <laughs> I'd, I'd do it very differently. The only thing is, uh, yeah, is there a bit of like bad luck about standing next to a trophy? I think that in this in the split second <laughs> that I had to think about, it. isn't that th- you know like don't touch a trophy is bad luck? Maybe. I mean, not for her. She's she's a BBC radio True. reporter. Don't really <laughs> see what what the ramifications would be. Dave uh, Ch- Charlie says if he could do it all over again, he, he reckons he'd nail it. But to be honest, the end result of this, the foremost sins, was her saying she tried to lift it for our sins. I think it's one of the least foremost sinsy situations we've been confronted with. If I'd waited, I don't think I would have gone in there. No. A challenging one to end with. Yeah, but it's quite. Again. It's, it's not quite the right phrase. I'm trying to think what she what would be more appropriate for that because it's almost like. Well, maybe she wasn't f- allowed to do it because you're not really allowed to touch trophies, are you? Because there's, there's always supposed a to. ridiculous bouncer with mm. white gloves standing by, like a head yeah. snooker referee, not letting you do anything. So, um, the weird protectiveness of trophies, pathetic, pathetic behaviour. Right, next up, well, the worst kept secret in football, I guess, Charlie, is the appointment of Mauricio Pochettino as Chelsea's new manager. The BBC Sport report went as follows. Chelsea have appointed former Tottenham and Paris Saint-Germain boss Mauricio Pochettino as their new manager. The Argentine 51 begins his new role on 1st of July 2023 on a two-year contract with an option for a further year. He takes over from interim boss Frank Lampard, who guided Chelsea to 12th in the Premier League. Are we are we giving Lampard guided? What, with one Steered? win? That's not a guided. It's not a guided in any way. No matter how you slice it, Dave, this is not a guiding, is it? No, because nothing about his tenure suggests that he's been in control no. of the situation in no. any respect. So it's not. It's definitely not a guiding. I don't think there's an alternative here, actually. Well, the, that's the problem because it was so bad, but obviously they don't want to get into how bad it was just there. I mean, you, could you say who took or who led? 
I mean, I know lead also sounds wrong because there's obviously been like a leadership vacuum, but is Took just sort of vague enough and factual enough? Because that's all you re- you're really wanting to say. Yeah. Would you say Took? It still implies an upward trajectory yeah, to me. Maybe. Yeah, I would. I would have gone with something like whose second spell in charge ended. With a 12th place finish. With a 12th place finish. Something yeah. like that. Can't because often you could go with left with, but I don't know if you leave at the end of a season the same way because you're not, Pochettino won't be picking them up in 12th. Yeah, that's right. That, that would be the default, I think. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, left them in 12th, but the season's over, so it doesn't work. Agreed. Um, shame. Um, now, email came in from Maximilian Campbell, who has, I'm delighted to say, brought back to my attention the sing-song Serie A commentator. He's <laughs> back. He says, not auditioning for Les Miserables anymore, but just as preposterous. This is genuinely some of the best intonation I've ever heard. I'll put it all together in one little clip for you. This is from uh, the illustrious uh, surroundings of a nil-nil draw between Lecce and Spezia. Unzola brings Spezia forward. Unzola! Esposito. Straight at goal. Esposito's attempt. Falcone unworried. And it comes. Free header. Unsola. Aguadelo. Through the legs. Aguadelo. Ampadu. Ekdal. This this sounds like an old computer game where it's they about, yes. Where they where it isn't quite fully joined up and you get weirdly pronounced names just chucked in. At Barry Davis on actress soccer. Shira. Shira! Exactly. Um, it's honestly absolutely fascinating, Dave. And it's got to the point now where I don't dislike it. I mean, it's a nil-nil draw between Lecce and Spezia. You might as well jazz it up. Was it the last game of the season? No, don't think so. But we're, we're, we're in that territory. Maybe maybe he's white, Maybe he's on the beach and he's just thought, I'll have a bit of fun here. Yeah. I'm just going to go for it. He's really taking the handbrake off. Well, they are, they're, they are colourful surnames, Charlie. I guess you've got to, got to let him off a bit. It does sound like he's. It does sound like he's just really enjoying himself, which is great. Yeah. Like it sounds like he's doing it with a smile on his face, yeah. slightly knowingly <laughs> in a booth somewhere. Let's face it. So uh, yeah, yeah got to enjoy it somehow. Former cliches guest Josh Pugh tweeted this the other day. Dave just heard a football commentator say that Ben Mee has found himself in the opposition's box. Great to see people reaching self-enlightenment, even in the midst of a sporting contest. So refreshing. Um, setting the joke aside, it did make me think that only centre-backs can find themselves in an opposition 18-yard box, as if they weren't there by design. It's just like, oh God, what the hell am I doing here? Is it kind of nosebleed related? Is it most often deployed when a centre-back's gone up for a corner or a free kick, the ball's gone out and they've stayed up mm. yeah. and they've come back in and they've sort of lingered around. They're like, oh, you know, they're still there and a, and a chance is presented to them. Not necessarily like a header. The ball might fall to them in a, in a position where you would want a striker to be and they find themselves in the, in the penalty area. Completely agree. You um, can't... I think you might have it from that... I mean, that scenario is where people are going to find themselves in weird positions. You yeah. might have it something like, if, say, a goal then went in from, like, a second phase from a corner or something, you'd be like... And, and he's found himself on the inside left channel, which wouldn't necessarily... I think that could even be, like, the the wrong fullback or something. Mm. And it lo- you know how it looks really weird when a fullback who's taken a corner is then almost having to play, like, uh, like a winger who's cutting into their good foot? Yeah. Like, there's nothing weird about it from a corner. Obviously, we're used to in swinging corners, but it looks so weird when Trent or someone is on the left-hand side. There's just something wrong about it, and that will come from a sort of set piece that's been only partially cleared. Yeah, I think this element of chaos is crucial here, Dave, because, you know, you know, if, if a striker makes a very deliberate, crafty run to fool his marker and then creates space for themselves to nod it home, that isn't finding themselves somewhere because they've done it all themselves. It was all mm. purely by design. I think finding yourself somewhere is purely chaos theory situation. And that's why it suits kind of clueless centre-backs with their noses bleeding. Yeah, I agree. Maybe late on, late in a game, if they've just like gone on a mad, sort of joined in in a counter-attack sort of situation. Yeah. Did Paul Stalteri find himself in the six-yard mm. box for that winner against West Ham? Yeah, that's a good shout. <laughs> All right, Equishare, bloody hell. <laughs> Great Pop, stuff. It, well, he popped up. It's, it, I guess it's more of a popping up. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah I, quite, yeah. I think they're, they're natural bedfellows popping up and finding yourself. Although popping up does imply a little bit of crafty movement, doesn't it? Johnny Maybe. on the spot. You can't be Johnny on the spot and find yourself, I don't think, necessarily. Depends if you score or not, I suppose. Brighton um, against Manchester City last week. They secured European football for next season, Charlie. Um, Europa League. No less. Commentator James Fielden got in touch and says, Brighton playing the Europa League theme 
on the hmm. PA system after qualification is surely a first. I saw some blowback about this. Some people saying it was uh, it was tin pot behaviour. I mean, I think it's part of an extended theme of of PA systems getting a little bit bolder this season and just trying to be part of the equation a little bit too much but i think this specifically i've got no beef with i think it's quite quaint quite charming and i don't mean that in a patronizing way although no, i slightly I, do yeah i hadn't i wasn't aware of that and i haven't seen that before i think it is quite a good idea i mean i wonder how people would feel if it was done for the champions league people would probably because i think the europa league because it was it's more often than not been a competition played for by teams who want to be in the champions league and therefore it's a bit of a sort of gag anthem as well like ah you're in the europa league and you've got to listen to this silly and it's it's ironically enjoyable by a lot of people as well which I think lends it an air of acceptability Dave if someone had played say Newcastle had they played the Champions League theme after securing Champions League qualification that would feel a bit that would, you haven't yeah, got the level would, of irony there have you no that would turn too many heads that and it would be that would be too easy a target for when they the, go out um, early you know the celebration season. police to mm, get stuck in that's true whereas I, I don't think you know a lot of people wouldn't be able to pick out what the Europa League theme is so mm. they might not even have noticed if you're in the stadium or whatever. <laughs> yeah, just, just a piece of after game music that they thought was a little bit dramatic yeah it could work I think Brighton have definitely celebrated getting to the Europa League more than I've ever seen any other team yeah and maybe that's fair enough because Hmm. of where they've come where they've come from but um, I sort of like it in a way why not just yeah it is a big achievement for them so just go for it you shouldn't be ashamed of it no I agree but I think Charlie you had to be careful though because I mean Europa League probably fine given the, the factors we've discussed but if you did play the Champions League theme it really does it really does ooze kind of 18,000 Swiss franc fine from UEFA, doesn't it? <laughs> but, you know, you're not being allowed to play it. So you think you <laughs> might get improved into- occasions. <laughs> they have to play Zadok the Priest just to get around the, the copyright. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tony Britton, the composer, like uh, completely publicly exposing him as a fraud. Um, I don't know, where you where do you draw the line though, Dave? Did you get little kids to wave a little ball kind of canvas in the centre circle? Do UEFA have the rights to that? Maybe you Brighton s- should have done that. For one game only, you sell Amstel and <laughs> Continental tyres after the game. Yeah, like inexplicably shut off the first three rows of your seats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there is an element of, I mean, Brighton have obviously made it Europa League specific there. Yeah. But more broadly, there's a sort of more element of we're all going on a European tour mm. about it, isn't mm. there? Like, the, the, that's kind of what you're celebrating, the fact that we're in Europe, we get to go and have some away days. Yeah. The competition, I think like Villa were doing that. Obviously, Villa, obviously, you don't really want to celebrate the Conference League in the same way, do you? But you do want to celebrate the fact that you're in Europe. Well, I remember in, in Dream Team, fictional, beloved TV show, when Harchester United qualified for Europe, either it was the game they did it or it was like prior to them playing their first European game. It was, and we're encouraging fans to bring their passports in celebration of our European journey, which always felt to me would feel really risky. You don't want to bring a passport no. to a football match. I mean, I don't maybe, know if there was... You can make a giant was, fake one. Yeah, you? maybe it was maybe it was more encouraging fake ones than actual <laughs> ones. But that, that, would, that would feel like... That would preoccupy you during a game. You have a few beers, you've got your passport in your pocket. A fan could throw it on the pitch at the end as well. It'd be great. <laughs> if they if they lose that game. Throw oh, it sod at it. The manager. Sod it. I'm not coming now. <laughs> I got oh. a Devon instead. Oh, how this unraveled, I'm not sure. Next up, this is honestly superb. This came from listener David. Ah, oh, this is superb. This level of engagement is what I want for the cliches pod in perpetuity. He says, I was very interested in your recent podcast discussion on the quality of footballers appearing in reality TV shows. I must take issue with the idea presented by Dave that Strictly Come Dancing and I'm a Celebrity managed to book a similar quality of footballer. Strictly footballers are quite clearly superior to I'm a Celeb footballers. The eye test backs this up. But I've also, with the help of Wikipedia, dug into the data. (laughs) Great. No phrase fills me more with joy than that. Here we go. Footballers to appear on Strictly Come Dancing. Peter Schmeichel, John Barnes, Peter Shilton, Robbie Savage, David James, Alex Scott and Tony Adams. Average club appearances, 746. Average international appearances, 90. This is like top trumps. This is this is this is seriously good stuff, Charlie. Like this is a high bar. That's a yeah, I, I said this I thought Strictly was a decent calibre I mean can't argue with this metric Dave either as we head into the comparison footballers to appear on I'm a Celeb John Fashionu, Neil Ruddock Rodney Marsh Jimmy Bullard Kieran Dyer Wayne Bridge Dennis Wise Harry Redknapp Ian Wright David Ginola and Jill Scott average club appearances 456 average international appearances 28 
it's as stark as you could get. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it. I'll give it to him. Yeah, I don't know. There are there are you know there was a bit of pedigree there in the I'm a celeb lineup, but I get the overall vibe is very different. Yeah, I, get I know that. what you mean. Statesman for Strictly, clowns for I'm a celeb. Basically, isn't that's what it is. Listener David continues. He got some caveats to the data, Charlie. He says, as they are not predominantly known as footballers, I have not included in the data either Nicky Byrne of Westlife, 11 appearances for Cove Ramblers in the League of Ireland, mm. or Mark Wright, one sub-appearance for Crawley Town in League Two, which I think is right. That's good. Yeah, Right yeah, yeah, to yeah. do. Very, very diligent stuff. He goes further, Dave. Based on this data... Based on his XA data, he says we can expect to see either Michael Owen or Brian Robson on Strictly at some point soon. <laughs> I can't see I can't see Brian Robson on Strictly. I think his time may have come and gone, but Michael Owen? Uh, Owen would do it. Yeah, I think Owen's a great shout. Yeah. And then I'm a celeb, Charlie. We can expect appearances from Jamie Vardy or Phil Jones. Honestly, yes. Has Rebecca yeah. Vardy been on? Was she in it or not? Am I just sort of confusing that with kind someone else? Picture arcs. Sounds about that. right. In that was Colleen on? I don't, I don't think Colleen's probably done it. just making that up completely, making that up. But I, but I'm sure he'd be, he'd be on the list. He'd be definitely be a target if he retires this summer or, or as soon as he does retire in the next few years. If you're I'm a celeb, you're definitely going to go for him. Rebecca Vardy did I'm a celeb in 2017. Well, there you go. There you go. Finally, Dave, uh, listener David says I haven't delved into the celebrity Big Brother records because even I won't stoop that low. <laughs> I think um, I think Danny Drinkwater would go on Celebrity Big Brother. <laughs> Yeah, that I, I see what you mean, kind of with a bit of a backstory to say about why his career fizzled out and then yeah. there's going to be a very convenient moment, you know, sat around the pool or something where he talks about why it happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Would nice. Agbon Lahore do Celebrity Big Brother? Yeah. Sort of imagine that. Yeah, any, any kind of Barclays era. I think, I mean, I think he's not, with his sort of last year and a bit on TalkSport, he's sort of kind of brought him back into the um, into the consciousness. I, I think he's out of the question for I'm a celeb. Mm, Jamie O'Hara would do I, I'm a celeb. I think Jamie mm. O'Hara could do I'm a celeb. I don't think Bonhoeffer quite has the profile. Bonhoeffer, yeah, much better player up. than O'Hara. Footballers are easy to market for these programmes because it's like swapped his boots for mm. the hiking boots or something like you know, that. Swapped his, swapped his captain's armband for a hammock or something bullshit like that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Clichés. Next one comes from Alex Nedvedek. I was watching the newest episode of Ted Lasso for my sins, and commentator Arlo White has just said this. Is this the equaliser? No! A swashbuckling save by the mad Canadian! Van Damme has been good today. Open and shut case for me, this, Charlie. You can't have a swashbuckling save, can you? No, it's a very TV or football in film style thing that would be said. Just like overly engineered and not really true to life. Swashbuckling is an, an offensive move. It's not a defensive It's gallivanting tactic. upfield, isn't it? I think mm. the only way I would have accepted swashbuckling save is if he'd sort of swung down from the rafters on a rope and then <laughs> stopped the ball going in. <laughs> Um, I mean, Rene Higuita's scorpion kick was arguably a oh, swashbuckling save. Yeah. Or if he caught it and then run upfield with the ball at his feet, like Higuita was wont to do 
So Higita, very much the most swashbuckling goalkeeper. It could work. Alex Nevedek says, surely this can't be allowed. Surely Arlo White knows better. I feel like I'm going insane. <laughs> Just read the words on the script, mate. Yeah. <laughs> That's your job. Yeah, don't blame Arlo White. He does. He says what he's told to say. Right, next up, this came from the Athletics' Alexander Abnos. This is from St. Louis versus Vancouver in MLS. Max Bretos on commentary. It's a nicely oh! Uchimagot, Susu, Sudio, Edward Lumen! Hit that one from the Mississippi River! One saddle, St. Louis City! I mean, that, I mean, that is just, it's just absolutely ridiculous. There's, there's no context to tap into here, Charlie. It is just absurd. I mean, Dave will know better than me, but that sounds quite like wrestling commentary, that sort of language and just general hyperbole. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. He's just gone with everything there. Mm. All of it. He's not holding anything back. Just chuck all the lines out mm. in one go. In the hunt for context, uh, the Athletics' Emily Olsen got in touch with Bretos to find out what prompted the reference. He says, Many moons ago, I was watching David Letterman and he was doing this skit on his show. For comedic emphasis, he said, Ooch Magooch Susu Studio. Uh, it always stayed with me as an expression, in large part because of the Phil Collins reference. Uh, during the goal call, when the ball was heading in and I was saying, Ooh, that expression hit my memory. I ran with it. Not planned, just an emotional reaction. I mean, I'm glad it was kind of an instinctive thing, Charlie, because you can't be that confident that people are going to know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, that's fair. That's. Uh... Um, pleasing in a way that it was just like the moment took him. I agree. Right, moving on. Interesting um, poser on Twitter this weekend by Grace Robertson, Dave. Sterling leaving soccer Saturday, BT Sports score stopping altogether. Have we just outgrown the need for these shows? Felt for years like Twitter on a Saturday is just a better version of that. Is this a real nail in the coffin for the for the score show? Like, does it have a healthy future or not? Or is this is Sterling leaving just a, you know, an incidental bump in the road? Add football cliche summer hiatus onto that list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'll be back with a live score show this summer. <laughs> I, I did see, I saw um, Jules Breach. I saw her post on Instagram uh, sort of picture of the whole BT Sports score team I just sort of assumed without any knowledge of it that they would just come back and do the same thing but it would be called TNT Oh, right, score, yeah. final score or something which maybe that's not going to be the case um, obviously there that is, a, that is a, a sort of fork in the road as far as BT Sport and their programming is concerned, whereas Sky, you'd assume it's just going to be huge boots to fill, as they found out last summer when they couldn't find a replacement for Jeff. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, surely that that that's going to that show's going to come back. You could rethink it. You could you could take the opportunity to say, you know what, Jeff's gone. We can't get another Jeff. Change well, the well, studio good. at least. Like do yeah. something. I don't know, Charlie. We've discussed at length the nature of these shows before. I don't want to get stuck into that again. But maybe they're kind of they are odd in one way because they're probably ring fence from the. Kind of, you know, are they getting the ratings? And they're, they're probably not judged on that basis because, like, like no one cares about the ratings for Soccer Saturday. Can you imagine? Because it's probably fairly consistent. Like, it's never going to go up or down for any reason, is it? I think it may have done over the last few years. It certainly felt like it used to be such a part of. Well, it's but it's the same show every week. That's the thing. It's not like a game where there are different quality of teams and there's context <laughs> and you may tune into Great one episode of Soccer Saturday. It's, just, <laughs> it's exactly it's, a, well, it's good. But it's I, just exactly the same every week. So yeah. it, it, it just exists. But I do I do think the fact that, on average, the general level of 3pm games has got quite a lot worse mm-hmm. because more games are on TV, more teams play on Thursday, so therefore on Sunday. I do think that has made a bit of a difference because you used to get quite often like bumper Saturday 3 o'clock yeah. sets of games. Yeah. That's increasingly rare. And therefore, I to sort of that. sit down and be getting like, updates of pretty medium looking games I, I don't it know, does it live feels... or die by a bumper Premier League yeah. Saturday for better I mean I know how democratic Soccer Saturday is and I love the fact that they 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 cast their net so wide but when you see like a you know, a proper Premier League reporter has been dispatched to Rotherham with all due respect you know it's a week weaker day of fixtures that's just how it is I suppose we it, actually, you could envisage a world, maybe in, an, in if not next season, in like the near future, where only the BBC do it because mm-hmm. they do it because it's kind of a public service thing for people that haven't got Sky or don't have access to the internet or whatever. You know, they just want to watch it on their TV on a Saturday. Uh, whereas Sky and BT and other commercial companies, if they just if they decide that actually there's no one watching and we don't need to do it, we could just do something else. And then who knows what happens if the old blackout one yeah. day gets canned? Then the whole thing's up for grabs, isn't it? I suppose. Ultimately, whilst the, the format has its merits, Charlie, 
as a kind of enduring thing that no one's ever going to fall out of love with enough to cancel it. You don't need three of them, I guess, is the summary. Yeah, Yeah. Um, I I think that's probably fair. (laughs) Right. Now it's happened, I would like to talk about this less in hypothesis and and in reality, Charlie. Did Leicester sleepwalk their way to relegation? Because we talk about it before the event, but did they actually do it? I think they did. I think they quite possibly could be on that list of teams. I also think they are, you know how this thing's always said that, I just don't think really is, you'll be like, there's always one team that gets, you know, uh, look at it, there's always one team that gets sucked, sucked in. Sucked back in. Did they, get, did they get sucked back in? They were the team because when right. they beat, they beat Spurs really handily in February and actually looked quite good. But they were, they got very much sucked back in after that. They went on That's a terrible good. run. I'm um, delighted to see that old faithful yeah, um, become relevant again. I'm really chuffed with that. I never thought about that one. It is sleepwalking over the more over the course of the season, and the sucked back in was yeah. I a think part you're right. Season. Yeah, yeah. I, it, sleep, getting sucked back in is essentially a business end situation. Sleepwalking isn't just necessarily your form across the season. It's the bigger picture things, the running of the club, and have they you know have they failed to kick on from a certain level? I mean, obviously, they won the league a few years ago. So have, you know, I think there's a bigger picture element to it, Charlie. But what perhaps undermines the sleepwalking is they actively tried to prevent it. They sacked their manager and got a new one in and he failed to keep them up. But was I mean, it that too is late? At least a, yeah, I mean, that's essentially waking yourself up. You are awake. Mm. You, they, they were awake to the possibility of it, which I think might undermine it. Yeah, but they did it. I think you can still use it for sleepwalking because they did it too late, the sacking. Yeah. If you're sleepwalking and you wake up and you've walked into the middle of the road... Like then that, the that is, is well, you've woken up too late. He's back. He's still here. <laughs> He's not going away just yet. Anyway, right. Um, this is a philosophical debate for us. Dave says uh, this came from Nolsey CPFC. He says, "How exactly can Jacob Murphy claim anywhere enough credit for his goal of the season contender when it was a one-yard tap-in? How can it? How can it qualify for such an award when all the work was done in the assist? This was the Alexander Isaac dribble at Goodison Park." I mean, it's a fair point, but I suppose you have to look at a goal in a holistic way, don't you? I think it's okay, but ultimately the lead up to it, be it the assist or whatever, you know, like the dribble, has to be otherworldly in quality, doesn't it? And this was an, an exceptional run. Yeah. To the point where I remember, I remember saying this to you. I said, I almost sort of think it, it's kind of goes beyond an assist. To, to, to describe it merely as an assist does it a disservice, mm. really, mm. in a way. Yeah. Um, he has essentially scored the goal. Uh, really, yeah, I but know what you mean. It is a tricky one because it's not. If you think of other examples, I mean, the, you know, it's the Jack Wilshere one mm. against Norwich, but but he was heavily involved in the build-up, and there was the one. It was sort of a series of one-twos and skills. I can't think of any. I can't think of one where a Maisie run and then having yeah. put it on a plate for someone else has got into a goal of the season. I think this. I think you, you've cited a really good example there, Dave. Thing about the Wilshere goal. Charlie is that he he crowned a move essentially he was the final piece of jigsaw in a team move so it's kind of okay to call it the Wilshire goal as many people do but you can't call it the Jacob Murphy goal can you and I think that's perhaps the crucial distinction ultimately I'm happy for it to be included in the shortlist because it belongs because it's notable should not win and goals like that should never win yeah I, I had the same thought with that Wilshire goal because I was thinking what's another one where it's about the build-up rather than the actual goal. I mean, you're right, David, that Wilshire does play a part in the build-up, but if he hadn't, it wouldn't matter. Like, if that had been someone else doing all of that stuff, it still would have been... Like, it's just the fact that it's such amazing, intricate passing. It helps, obviously, that he's been involved because it looks like it's he's sort of building it up. But it's ultimately just about how good that passing and moving is. What is weird about this goal, and I can't really remember a precedent, you're right, of it's just all about the assist. The The goal is is such a minor part of it. But I don't know, should that mean, should that count it out? Maybe. Assist of the season? To start a new competition on the BBC? <laughs> I'm sure the Premier League have probably got one of those because they, they gave an award for like most powerful shot of yeah, this season. Yeah, Ben Rama won most powerful yeah. shot. And I watched the clip back. And it's just like it's really underwhelming. Like it's like woof, somewhat. Does it go in? Um, oh yeah. Oh, abs- oh yeah. It's the right, most powerful okay. goal not, of the season. Right. Yeah. 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 I was going to say some booting it into Rose. <laughs> some poor bastard on Weisgau having to watch 550,000 <laughs> shots across the season. Right. Back to Sky Sports News. Listener Sam. Good old listener Sam. He says, one of those weird transfer news blokes on Sky Sports News said Spurs fans will want to wrap up Harry Kane in cotton wool to keep him at the club. But wrapping a player in cotton wool only prevents injury, doesn't it? If anything, he'd be more sellable wrapped in cotton wool. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, he's ready for delivery. <laughs> in original packaging. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Charlie can't argue with the uh, logic here. Cotton wool is purely for keeping players from injury and not from keeping them from being sold. Yeah, no, you don't want to do that. 
I mean, either either what you want to do is make them as unappealing, so you want to do the opposite almost, mm. or you just want to kind of <laughs> hide them away in hibernation for the summer. Yeah. Obviously, not normally done in a different season. Hibernation, including the name, but um, yeah, you you kind of you just want them as unaware of everything that's going on as possible. Lock him up. Yeah, well, I was going to say, <laughs> it becomes a bit sinister. Chain him down. Yeah. yeah. Tie him down. Well, I mean, that's what new well, contracts are. Yeah. New contracts tie players down. That's the go. Yeah, there you go. Tie him down. Sticking on a Spurs theme, Dave, JJ Shaw gets in touch, says, Leeds fan here. It's fair to say Lucas Moura waltzed through the Leeds defence for Spurs' fourth goal on Sunday. I just wondered what you and the team think the threshold is for the proverbial waltzing. Does it necessarily require the attacker to skip through the epicentre of the defence, leaving defenders in his wake? Uh, my only fear for this goal, Dave, is that he did it too quickly. It's close to a waltzing, Charlie, mm. isn't it? Yeah, I think I think a waltzing, there does have to be some degree of bad defending because it's it's too easy. Like Waltzing is, is, such a, is a kind of recreational thing. Yeah. So the but, idea that you can just do it through people who should be quite aggressively trying to stop you. I think the context for it was, you know, textbook waltz territory. I just fear that Lucas Moura was just too quick and too direct for the waltz, Dave. That's my fear for this. I see. Yeah, I see what you mean. He is going quite quick. He's quite. He sort of changes directions a few times. Okay, that helps. Does that help for a waltz? Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like the more skill and jinking involved makes it waltzy. I just fear what, for the velocity of it. What is the ultimate waltz then? King Cladsey? Is that a, what? Is that a kind of? Because he's not going particularly quickly. The, the defence wasn't errant enough there. He actually did. He literally was a great dribble. <laughs> like, that's the problem. Chris Marsden? Chris Marsden's a good shout, yeah. Quite waltzy. It's higher in the waltzy scale, but still quite an absurdly good... John Barnes in the American R? Again, too much of a solo effort. Not not hapless enough on the... on the. I don't know. I can't think of a particularly waltzy goal. Hmm. But that's why I think linked to what you're saying about being too quick, because a few of them are just sort of outpaced... Yeah, that that feels less hapless in a way. Like there's not a huge amount you can do once someone. There is a there is a goal that I that comes to mind for me that I think actually would qualify as a waltz because the defenders kind of just sort of fall over and let him through and he just walks through. But I I don't even Charlie I don't think will remember this goal. Okay, it was Roberto Pereira for Watford against Huddersfield <laughs> in October twenty eighteen. <laughs> no, don't remember that. No. no. All I had in my head was Nedimanua versus Chelsea, which yes. had an element of waltz to it. But it was maybe it was too good a finish at the end. Well, it's, no, it's quite a scuff finish. Oh, okay. Oh, it's yeah. quite waltzy then. Yeah, that quite could be low one. pace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dainty. Um, he that's also a bit of a found himself because yes. he was like, "What?" It, it, he and that finish did slightly reflect a kind of "What are you doing here?" type <laughs> moment. Agreed. Agreed. Everton, of course, staved off relegation on the final day. Did they stave off? Did they? You can't. You can't stave off on final day. Have I got that wrong? No, I think they did because they were outside the relegation zone before it. So mm. not like, not like they were in the Belton three and they managed to get out on the last day. They were trying to stave off Leeds and Leicester by, and they did that. No, by you getting fend, the, you fend the off win. other teams. You stave off relegation. Well, well yeah, but it's the same. Who staves things? What same sort of. Yeah, yeah, really. fine. Nonetheless, Sean Dyche had some forthright appraisals of their season and how they move forward. I think we need to collect it all back together, realign it, get us back on board, get the fans connected to what we are as a team, to what I am as a manager. And then there'll be another day when hopefully I'll put enough things in place if I get my time here, when a fashionista can come in and they'll all have a beautiful product. But for now, it's something that <laughs> actually needs a rawness, a heartbeat, that the people of the Evertoners, in my opinion, can grip to and go, right, we've got a group that are giving every inch of it and build on that. I mean, to a certain extent, Dave, I, I think he's right that you need all those intangibles to, to, to drag Everton back into shape and that sort of stuff. But he just, he just can't help himself. He can't help himself. Fashionista. Such a dicey thing to say. It is. <laughs> it is. But at the same time, I can almost see like some people, you know, talking about like, actually, this guy uh, from Syria, he's a bit of a fashionista mm. type, actually. Like you can sort of see that language working way into certain circles within football. You know what he means. It's it's one step away from if I if my name was Aladdin. Sean Diccio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Danny Diccio, yeah. yeah. Absolutely right. Right. Uh I, I'm. This seems to be not a particularly modern phenomenon, Charlie, but I've seen some uproar about this. Um, CG writes in, says, where do we stand on people wearing next season's kit at the end of the season? Edward Rose also says, how do we feel about teams wearing next season's kits on the last day? Personally, I think it's disrespectful to the day and the <laughs> outgoing kits. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think it's fine. I'm, I think it's a nice little tradition. It's like looking ahead, isn't it? I remember when this started, and it, it's a long time. It's like more than 20 years ago. Easily, yeah. Where, where, and, but I remember it feeling like quite a big thing. I think it's um, good. And even as a cynical marketing exercise, I think it's good. I think it's probably the healthiest piece of mm. club commercial activity you can do. Here's the new kit for next season. Roll up. Things are gonna, can only get better, that sort of thing. Yeah, and I do. I am slightly fascinated by the end of the, the last day of the season. Is, it is just amazing for like throwing up weird stuff happening. Mm. And I think that, that anything that adds to it ever so slightly, like wearing the wrong kit, I think, it, I think is fine. I am fully on board with it if you've got nothing to play for. Because right. then I think it's 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 it adds another layer of it adds something at least to the game for like the new, for your home supporters or your supporters to yeah. sort of go oh that's nice I think it's weird if you like if you're in the hunt for the title for anything of significance or to stay up and then that image of you yes it will forever be enshrined you'll be in the wrong season's kit on, like, on on that day it's going to make people get questions wrong on football cliches quizzes <laughs> yeah. in 2045 mm. or something like that it's it's it, yeah i mean to a certain extent you you start to wonder dave why the authorities haven't sort of clamped down it says you can't wear the wrong you can't wear the new kit you've just worn it 37 times and you can't wear a different kit it feels like something they would sort of say we can't do that it's the integrity of the competition yes. <laughs> if there's some sort of new technology in the shirts absolutely <laughs> Sweat wicking. Your sweat was wicked <laughs> more at the end of May. It's true. Massive. Could be. Could be. Those fine margins. At that level. At that level. It's those fine margins, isn't it? <laughs> right. Um, great mea culpa from listener Harry Guna here, Charlie. He says, I'm afraid to admit that I thought on the beach meant a team was fighting on the beaches like D-Day. I thought it was said when a team was pinned down and being peppered with shots whilst trying to get back in the game and slowly gaining back control. <laughs> I mean, like the most wrong anyone has ever got a football cliche. It literally means the opposite. Yeah. Wow. I love with wow. that because obviously whenever one gets things wrong, you fill in the gaps in your head. And although things seem weird, if, the, if you believe them to be the case, you're like, oh yeah, but I guess that's just because of that. He must have had to do a lot of that over the years of a team being described on the beach be like yeah I guess that makes sense <laughs> those conversations he must have drifted out of going I'm not having this this bloke's talking rubbish <laughs> yeah. but Dave for that to be your go-to reference your go-to image for being on a beach seems strange well I mean football and and indeed much of the sort of political discourse is so littered with references to war and specifically the second world war mm. I can sort of see why you might make that leap but maybe I'm being quite generous there. But yeah, he's, well, at least he's, he's admitted it. Fair enough. Fair play. Finally on the adjudication panel then. Um, an, abs an absurdly over-engineered piece of content came from the FA today. The FA Cup trophy, Charlie, has already had the word Manchester engraved on it to reflect the first ever Manchester Derby FA Cup final in the competition's 152-year history. They've... They've essentially, they've been a bit too diligent. They've done a bit of work ahead of time. I think that's actually quite sad. I think there's something sad about it. I mean, take take the symbolism out of the equation. The fact that they've, they've you know, ooh, I've, I've done it. I've that done is it quite it's funny. Yeah. That is quite funny. Like, what, there are so many examples of people doing that when you're like, oh, I can just I can slightly get ahead here. I know I know what won't change, mm. but that is, that is ludicrous. Okay, so it's a nice little touch, Dave. It's accompanied by a 500-word piece on the FA's website describing this situation. The Emirates FA Cup's famous trophy has already been partially engraved to recognise and celebrate the first ever final between Manchester City and Manchester United. Okay, got it. Thomas Light, the competition's official trophy and silverware provider, are responsible for etching the winning's name into the history each season, and either the City or United will be added following the final whistle. Okay, I've got it. All of which means that not once in the competition's fabulously rich history has an engraver had the chance to etch even the first half of any finalist name onto the trophy. Okay, we get it. The word I mean, Manchester was... will be on the cup by the time the winners have hoisted it aloft at Wembley. Yeah, I know. I mean, I wonder in, in 2015 when Arsenal played Aston Villa, did they do the A just in a... <laughs> Saves oh, a bit of time. Get, let's get ahead of it. The engraver's going to be busy on the day. Let's just make his life that that bit easier. Do you do the United in yeah. 99 when Newcastle played Manchester United? Yeah. God knows. Fittingly, the engraving took place in the changing rooms at Wembley. Blah, 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 blah. The engraving of either City or United will then complete the process. Okay, we get it. We get it. The request is unprecedented and a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Engraving the trophy with the name of the City that would eventually win the title, even before the final match, is a remarkable gesture. Each stroke of the hand engraving tool symbolised the historical significance and immense anticipation surrounding this fiercely contested Manchester derby. On Saturday, as you United and City battle it out at Wembley. The finishing touch is waiting to be applied on and off the pitch. 
What a complete waste of time all of this is, as much as I quite like it in its own way. They've saved, what, how many? How long does it take to engrave the word Manchester? Apparently, according to this article, it takes place in the days and weeks after the final. Right, so they don't do it. I, know, I thought I'm they were confused. doing it. I'm very There was confused. a man doing it in, in a room in Wembley, ready to do it. I, I find it all very strange. I really don't know what's going on. Have so, they put the white ribbons on and they're going to add either the red the or... The ribbons have not or, been applied. The article was very clear blue. to state that. <laughs> um, we're all a bit we're a bit muddled here. To bring us clarity, to bring us finality, it's time for Keys and Grey Corner. Ford Super Sunday. Let's kick off. It's Elizabeth Barnard again. She wants us, Charlie, to do a little review of Keezy's preseason predictions. I've cherry picked a couple of them. Um, please note that this isn't us just going back and saying, ah, you got it wrong, because that obviously that is futile and cheap behaviour. There is some stuff here that he's got bang right. But crucially, all of these are done in the most Keezy way possible. Number one, I've never tipped City to win it. I don't know why, and I'm not going to now. Make no mistake, they should. They really should. They probably will. But Liverpool are due one, and I don't care what they say publicly. Guardiola, Mansour and co are desperate to win the CL. Without question, that's the one they must win. He's <laughs> just so sure of himself at all times. It's superb. I was going to include in the quiz, actually, something about when Liverpool were going for the title. Keys in his blog wrote something about how there was only one man who said City wouldn't, wouldn't dominate forever, and that was Andy Gray. So, <laughs> utterly <laughs> ludicrous. Um, Dave, here's Keezy on Brighton's prospects. Brighton, safe. No more, no less. <laughs> and that should satisfy everyone at the Amex. Never, ever forget what you are. Strive for progress, but realise your station. Charlton forgot what they were, and look what happened. I like a little cautionary tale. <laughs> Who are you? Who are you? Also, could that be his worldview more? Know your place. <laughs> Knowing your place. Incredible kind of pre-patronising of Brighton there, Dave. I think this might be the best of the lot, actually. Yeah, and still, still Charlton's the go-to reference. There are surely, there are way, there's loads more examples you could have cho chosen from in the intervening Stoke, years. for instance. Swansea, Stoke... Charlton's yeah. amazing. Didn't um, they go down in 2007? Let's give Keezy his dues here. Here are some that he absolutely nailed. Saints will struggle again. Hasenhuttle was lucky to survive the backroom clearout. Those things rarely work unless you get rid of the lot, manager included. I don't think he'll be there in November. Sacks November the 7th. There you go. Nailed it. Next up, of the new boys, I think Forrest are best equipped to survive. The city ground will be a hard place to visit, but they'll still struggle to win 10 games. I reckon they'll have enough, just about enough, if they can win a few at home. Again, that's exactly why they stayed up. <laughs> yep. Done it. But, of course, here we go. Fulham, down. Bournemouth, down. If you push me, I'd go with Southampton to make up the relegated three. And if you're looking for a surprise struggler, it's got to be Leicester. And for the record, I've had two of the bottom three correct in each of the last two seasons. So be worried if you support that. I remember us taking the piss out of this the first time. That's a pathetic track record. Be but worried. He, but he got it again. Fair play. Yeah. He called Leicester. He called it. Oh, my goodness. Honestly, superb. Superb. He gets it right 50% of the time. Fair play to him. Um, anyway, let's moving on. Here's Keys and Grey on Harry Kane's future. Harry Kane should stay at Tottenham and play for the next three or four years and win nothing. Now, I'm not saying they won't, but and win nothing. Or let's just say, for instance, go to Manchester and have a chance of winning something. Where would you go? Yeah, but if I'm, Why if wouldn't I'm, you do that? Well, because if I'm Mrs. Kane, I'm thinking to myself, I'm winning right now. I've got a lovely house. I live in a lovely part of the world. The children are happy and uh -huh. settled. Harry's playing football in Tottenham. I've got family and friends around me yeah. that I don't yeah, yeah. want to leave. So uh, I think all of those things have to be a consideration for yeah, him. Yeah, they are I a really do. But that's a, that is a consideration. But the consideration you is say, you can have a bigger and better house in Manchester. You can meet more friends in Manchester. Your friends are only in London. Uh, how long's the flight from Manchester to London? You yeah, would know. Yeah, yeah. But, 35 Five minutes. I, I, I think. You, I think. So you, there you go. Two hours on the train. You can back. You can back in Kings Road with all your pals if you want. I don't so, think it's no. as easy and as simple. I think as that. it is. Um.
of King's Road is amazing. I love the King's Road (laughs) reference. Um, But it's such a 1970s way of looking at it, Charlie. Like, this is proper dinosaur stuff. It's like this idea that, you know, his wife will be happy wherever they are and she's got access to London and that sort of stuff. This is is mad. This is absolutely mad. But Keezy would think he's being very progressive there. He'd be thinking, you know, footballers are people too, Andy. No, it's not. It's not all just number of goals. You know, they're not robots. We have to. We have to appreciate that. And in so doing, yeah, it makes an incredibly sort of dated reading of how it works. Well, Andy, Andy Gray suggesting that they'll get a bigger and better house in Manchester with better which, friends, which, more which, which for your might, money. It might be true if you know. You know, you're just looking for a three-bed house. <laughs> On a, on a on an average budget, but I'm sure Harry Kane can afford a mansion wherever he wants. Uh, Keezy goes I'm later on in that Richard. clip. Later on in that clip, Keezy goes on to call it orderly wedge, which is uh, fantastic stuff. Here's a tweet from Keezy on Tuesday morning. I watched Eamon Holmes' interview on GB News with interest. Part two tonight, but so far nothing we haven't talked about down the years. I understand his anger. Don't shoot the messenger. None of it is his fault. He's a class act and a top pro. Of course, of course, he's <laughs> that, team Eamon Holmes. That has come out before his respect and admiration for Holmes. They, uh, yeah, I mean. They're basically the same person. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Just like, yeah, little offshoots in the uh, daytime TV family tree. Finally, the season's essentially over. Let's enjoy Keys and Grey signing off. Is it for another season? Are we done? Well done, Everton. So yeah. That's us. Another season? Yeah. Ah. Andy and I will be back with the Champions League final, what, two weeks from now? And back with another season of Premier League football on Saturday, August the 14th. 12th. 12th? 12th. 12th. We'll see you then. <laughs> Absolute pros. <laughs> Oh, no other broadcaster could you do this? Why the season start on a Friday anyway? <laughs> we'll do it all again. Oh, God. They'll be back, and so will we, I hope. Anyway, business complete. That's our season done. But there's one final matter to take care of. This is David Walker's final football cliches appearance. Uh, much like Graham Souness was bid goodbye, bid farewell by Sky Sports the other day. Dave, I'm so glad I collared you at the Athletic Christmas Party all the way back in 2019 to suggest we did this podcast. I think I got you just the right number of pints in. <laughs> For you to be amenable well, to this idea, and I'm, I was equally glad that you you got there first. You preempted my. Good. I, I kind of had that in mind to do that as well. So we were both on the same page. And to be fair, it did take us a while to get going. I think. Yeah. But you know, look how far we've come. Two hundred and sixty-two episodes. That's how far we've come. Fondest memories of yours across those episodes? Um, obviously, the live shows were amazing moments to meet all the listeners and and sort of see up close. You know, just how much people enjoyed it. But um, I've enjoyed it all really. It's been an absolute pleasure, isn't it, Charlie? It really has, and it's very, it's very, very sad. I feel emotional. Yeah, it so. should be happening, but it is happening, and we all have to just live with it. I, d- I don't know how we're going to live with it, but we are. Dave, I mean, there was one final piece of editing I was going to foist upon you. I was tempted to just dump all these clips on you and make you <laughs> make your own farewell montage. <laughs> but I've learned from the best. Um, this is the best bits of David Walker on the Football Clichés podcast. What a producer he was, by the way. have the Athletics managing editor of audio this is a bit like in my head this is a bit like when Abramovich comes down into the Chelsea dressing room or when a headmaster comes into a school lesson it's David Walker Hello. Thanks, thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. You were just in the office. It was, you my, were just it was, around. My, it was my decision. Actually, <laughs> yeah. so it's fine. <laughs> you are, yeah, you are becoming a bit too involved in the kind of day-to-day <laughs> things. First of all, David Walker, the podcast chief. Yet more critical acclaim for you. A DM from a friend of mine said, I liked the bloke who wasn't JPB a lot. Okay. Well, that's good. Well, although is, that is a sort of a slight dig at JPB as well. But I'm more worried about the fact that he likes you but still doesn't know your name. Which yeah. suggests you've still got some work to do okay. on this podcast. So don't get complacent. But the technical issue here is, is it allowed to be a drought if he hadn't scored for them in the first place? I suppose if a river had never been full of water at any point... <laughs> It wouldn't be a drought, I suppose. That's actually really good. No, that's absolutely fine. That's probably one of your better Literally Dave moments, actually. Um, Completely agree. Yeah. Who's the the little and who's the large out of Gary Cheese and Dave Chalk? I think Chalk's large, isn't he? Chalk's lanky. Yeah, he's like a stick of chalk. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Literally Dave absolutely going into his own here. Sticks of chalk are quite small. I mean, are they? (laughs) No, like the long ones used to get at school. It was a a lovely affair in, in Ibiza. Uh. All places for my sins. Um, <laughs> Can you hoof a header? <laughs> uh, you no, you can't hoof a header. I, li- I do like the idea of it, but you can't 
You can't hoof a header, can you? 100th appearance. Congratulations. Thank you. I was thinking about it. It all feels, to me, it feels like I've had more than 100, though, actually, in my head. Well, you have in theory, because you've produced 90% of the episodes. Yeah, I suppose that's why, yeah, exactly. First of all, Dave Walker, how are you doing? I am very good. I'm actually, I've just, as I sat down to record this, I've just looked to my right where, <laughs> where my wall chart is, and I've noticed that actually I filled yesterday's games in last night when I came in after a full day in the pub, but I've done it really sloppily, like outside the lines, like oh. can't even really tell what the score was in one of the matches. Like, so, I mean, apart from that, I'm fine, but I, I'm annoyed. <laughs> And I worked in scientific research. After a break to have children, uh, I started to... You're a teacher right. from Kent. It's what subject do you teach? I teach science. For my sins. For my sins. Yes! And I think you're a bit doing? What are you doing with all that time? Um, well, I've recently taken up a bit of tennis again. Uh, I've not played for quite a long time. Um, for my sins. I still play uh, a bit of football and... Uh... Hi, I'm Lewis Jones. I'm from Haverhill in Suffolk. And I'm studying journalism. For my sins. Oh, for my sins. Yes! Yes! <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! Like, yeah, home and away seem to get older. Um, last thirty years from Sheffield, so for my friends. Uh, <laughs> what is wrong with you, lot? I'm looking for pottery or or particularly silver. I'm looking for pigs as well for my friends. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah, my castle. I am Baron Corifex. For my sins. You are on my land. Oh. <laughs> David Walker, everybody. Ah, oh, wow. Good job. Not bad, eh? Yeah. I can't believe how weird we all sound back in the early, early days. It's, but it's not like the show's ending. I'm leaving, but the show, the show will carry on. But yeah, thank you both. It's been an absolute pleasure. An absolute honour. Genuinely brilliant. Yeah, you'll be back. I sense it. I sense it in many ways. You'll be back on this podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to everyone for enjoying and contributing to this podcast this season. We'll be back later this summer by hook or by crook. Thanks to you, Charlie Eccleshare. Thank you. And thank you, Dave. Thanks to you, David Walker. Thank you. And thanks to everyone for listening. See you in a while. The Athletic.